Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm Simone Malas with Restore or Retreat. And it is the last Delta Dispatches of February 2021 um, since we last spoke. It could be our last, too. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> never say never, right? Simone, let's let's knock on wood. I just did. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, this time of year is always exciting. I know we've had some very cold winter weather. And of course, our thoughts are with all of our neighbors in Texas and other parts of Louisiana that got like extreme weather and extreme cold and hoping that you know, this warm weather is a welcome change from last week. But last week was also Mardi Gras or was it, was it Mardi Gras, Simone? I don't know. How was it for you? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do certainly. Maybe we talked about this, right? I do appreciate the spirit of like Yardi Gras and all of that, but it was certainly depressing. And obviously Mother Nature agreed that, um, that it was not the right time of year for Mardi Gras. But um, you know, an unintended consequence is thinking about crawfish, right? So it's Lent, you already get into that. And so I hope those guys do okay too. I know. I hope we have a, a good crawfish season. I know there's been some discussion about the cold and how that might affect the crawfish season and if it's a little delayed, but let's just say when, when they're here and they're ready, I'm ready to devour as many crawfish as we can. And I'm, I'm excited to get my, you know, Friday fish fries on and just really enjoy the bounty of Louisiana's coast uh, in this Lenten season. You know, there is a previous Delta Dispatches guest who told me that he would be good. He grew up here in Louisiana and he told me he would be good with just like one crawfish bowl a year. Like I'm really reevaluating our friendship. Um, I'm not really sure if I want to be friends with the guy who like is cool with one crawfish bowl a year. I feel like after I eat crawfish, you know, I'm still hungry later and then I'll like want to eat crawfish again. Right. So like I can't imagine going like multiple days without crawfish, much less a year. But hey, you know, we'll have to we'll have to dig into it. I'll tell you offline who that friend is and, and we can talk about him later. So Yeah, we'll have to <laughs> dig into that some more for sure. It's not John Lopez though. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of our dear colleague, um, Dr. John Lopez, uh, formerly with Pontchartrain Conservancy and the Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation, folks might have read in the New Orleans Times-Picayune, uh, New Orleans Advocate, um, that John has, uh, you know, taken a step away from the Pontchartrain Conservancy, but he's still going to be involved in coastal issues, which we're so glad and grateful for. Um, so many people in that article, you know, expressed their appreciation of John for years of mentorship, his contribution to the coast. And personally for myself, he's someone who I've just learned so much from and has been, he's just been a great scientist and communicator. So I've, I've really appreciate and am honored that I've had the opportunity to work with him so closely and hope can, that I can continue to work with him and we all will. Um, and I, certainly that will benefit Louisiana's coast. I'll just pull this out from the article by Hallie Parker and it, they, they say, you know, John's seminal work laid out the need for human-made infrastructure to work in concert with Southeast Louisiana's natural marshes, trees, and ridges. He showed in simple terms that the pieces must complement one another to lower the risk that storm surge posed to a community. By the early 2000s, the New Orleans native had already begun presenting the integrated strategy to public officials, but, but without success. Katrina served as a wake-up call, forcing federal and state agencies to reckon with the dire need to change their approach now widely accepted, 
Lopez's strategy underpins the state's coastal master plan to restore and protect as much of its sinking shoreline as possible using a mix of green and gray infrastructure. And of course, that is in reference to John's multiple lines of defense strategy, which we still reference and will continue to reference for years and years to come. Yeah, John, and that was well said by Hallie, of course. And um, John is somebody that I used to love. I, I never actually got into it with him, but I love that he challenged people and he challenged you to think differently. And I think he kept people on his toes. I know he probably kept our next guest, uh, Bryn Haas, who's the executive director of CPRA, on his toes as well. So, Bryn, do you have anything you want to add about Dr. Lopez before we get started? Man, I think you all hit some really good points about John. I think um, Jacques really hit hit the nail on the head. One of the things that strikes me about John and his career is is just his ability to communicate with a wide range of stakeholders and uh, really make kind of the, the the processes of the coast understandable to a wide range of folks. And the, the amount of people that he educated about Louisiana's coastal issues and the potential solutions to those those problems and those issues, I think, is just uh, just a, a tremendous testament to his career. And uh, certainly look forward to continuing to, to work with John uh, into the future. And, and glad he's not fully retired because we still <laughs> we still need his help for that's for sure. So we do want to bring on, um, obviously, give a further introduction um, to a previous guest on the show. Uh, Bryn Haas was appointed CPRA's executive director um, back in January of 2019. Um, how long ago that seems, Bryn? It does. <laughs> he, had <worked> at the, <laughs> he had worked at the agency previously as well as CNR. Um, but I, I think I always point this out because it it bears repeating is that you are a confused tiger and that you graduated from both Auburn and LSU. Um, and I just can't talk enough about that. Like, um, can we talk about the mascot situation? Um, like, I don't know, maybe we should just move on to more complicated matters. It's hard to explain. Um, it's, it's hard to understand. I, I get that. <laughs> Um, but Brent, you worked you worked at DNR previously, but you also worked. Did you you worked like in for the federal government or private industry as well? Like so, you have a long career, but your background really is in biology, correct? That's what your training is. It, it is, yeah, sure is wetland ecology uh, primarily. I've always had a a keen interest in Louisiana's coast and and how it works, and uh, that's how I uh, sort of tailored my education. It's been the you know the my career um, since uh, going to those both the, both of those schools that have tiger mascots. <laughs> so Bryn, I mean, I talked about this before, but did little Bryn just like love to hunt and fish and be outside, and that's that's how you got there, and you just found a career doing what you love? We like to talk to people about how you got where you are. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. That's exactly it. I mean, I've, I've always liked, uh, playing in the mud, uh, uh messing with water and, and, you know, going to the ditch and catching crawfish, uh, since I was, uh, you know, old enough to, to be able to walk and, and do that. And that really translated, um, you know, into a passion and, and outdoor activities, uh, for our coast and along our coast. And, and again, it was sort of a natural progression to, uh, to, you know, translate that into, uh, into a career. So that's absolutely how I got started. That's great. We, like I said, we used to, we usually like to ask people just so folks can know how people got interested in the work that we do. Yeah, so interesting. And, you know, thinking about it, I also loved playing in the mud and in the water and going down to the ditch and getting crawfish. So, I never connected it to my current profession, but, you know, those impressions were made early. So I'm sure that had something to do with it. 
Um, so, Brent, I do want to ask a little bit. We've had your colleague Greg on the show, I think, to recap 2020, but really looking ahead to 2021, one of the things that he emphasized and certainly has been the case is CPRA is not slowing down this year. There's a ton going on. So just how has your 2021 been so far and how are things over at the agency right now? Uh, things are really good here. Uh, 2021, you know, j- just as it has been for everybody, has been uh, unusual. Uh, <laughs> it's been uh, sort of 2020 uh, extended. Is how I've heard some people, uh, you know, describe it, and that's certainly the case in dealing with the pandemic and kind of the um, way in which we're doing business and doing our work. But um, nonetheless, that work is getting done, and so uh, we're very, very busy here at CPRA. Uh, and that's a great thing because that means we're uh, we're getting projects planned, we're getting projects designed, and getting projects uh, you know constructed and on the ground uh, for our coast. So um, it's been a good couple of months so far. It's hard to believe it's already um, um, you know we're a couple of months now into the end of the year. Uh, time is flying by, but uh, it's been quite good and uh, looking forward to a lot more good things to come uh, over the rest of the year. Brian, how many people do y'all have at the agency? We have about 170 uh, uh, folks working for us. So we've, we've got, um, you know, our main offices here in Baton Rouge. We also have three field offices uh, in New Orleans, Thibodeau, and Lafayette. And so uh, between the, the four offices, there's about, 100, about 170 folks working for us. That that surprises me, right? I, I like to think I know everybody at CPRA. Clearly, <laughs> clearly I do not. Um, I do miss uh, going downstairs and seeing Missy Lane and I would just sit by her and I'd see everybody in the hall or going in the elevator. So I do miss seeing you guys and look forward to um, when we can be back in person for meetings and those kinds of things. So um, Jacques mentioned the start of 2021, but certainly at the end of the year, there was some, some big coastal news. Um, I know the passage of WERDA by Congress included some wins for CPRA, correct? I mean, that gives y'all some direction on some things to work on in the future. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so WERDA was, uh, there were some big wins for the state of Louisiana. Um, a couple of those, you know, I mentioned one, one of the biggest ones was that Congress directed the Corps of Engineers to, uh, to, to develop a, a comprehensive management study for the lower Mississippi River. And so that's so important for coastal Louisiana. We know that that river uh, is the resource that built um, the land that we live on, the land that we, we hunt and fish on, uh, and that we enjoy. Um, and so the management, you know, historically, the river really has been for sort of two purposes, navigation and flood control, which are immensely important, not just to Louisiana, but to the entire nation. Um, but that um, that ecosystem restoration piece, which is sort of, you know, where, where my focus is, certainly as, as head of the CPRA, um, has sometimes not been um, probably on par with those other two purposes. And so one of the um, uh, or a few of the, the things that Congress directed the Corps to look at specifically as it looks at management of the lower river, and we're talking from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, uh, all the way down to the mouth of Southwest Pass. Um, but anyway, one of the things that um, Congress directed the Corps to, to uh, investigate specifically was Louisiana's coastal master plan. Um, and then some projects uh, that are specific to the master plan, uh, a few of those being the, the AMA diversion, uh, the Union diversion, uh, the increase the Atchafalada, Terrebonne Basin uh, Marshes project, and then the Manchac land bridge diversion as well. And so those are, you know, huge. And, and the fact that, that Congress called them out specifically, you know, we think those are some projects that can not only help uh, in terms of those those uh, uh, first, uh, you know, uh, 
resources that we talked about in terms of flood, flood control and navigation, but they also can be a tremendous benefit um, to the ecosystem of coastal Louisiana. That ecosystem in turn supports the navigation system that is the river. Um, and again, they can help uh, with things like perhaps reducing the frequency and duration of the operation of the Bonacary Spillway, which we know uh, has been problematic in, in the recent past. Um, there's another uh, provision uh, in Word of 2020 that also deals with the hurricane storm uh, damage and risk reduction system for the levees essentially around the greater New Orleans area. So, uh, you know, Jacques and Simone, I know you, you guys are familiar that um, um, back in 2009, the state signed a deferred payment agreement um, for that project. Um, and the federal government essentially lent the state of Louisiana the money to complete uh, a good portion of that project. Well, it was originally supposed to be completed in 2010, and then uh, a new uh, deadline was uh, that was extended to the 2011 time period. Well, here we are in 2021. Um, it's you know 10 years later, and the project um, is still under construction. It's nearing completion now, but all that time uh, interest on the loan from the federal government has been accruing, and so Congress enabled the Corps of Engineers to. Uh, negotiate or for us to negotiate with Corps of Engineers to help reduce that payment and forgive uh, some of that interest if we meet certain um, uh, certain criteria in terms of paying principal back and so forth. And so that has the potential to save the state 600 uh, or more million dollars uh, in terms of making good on that project. So, well, Brent, I just want to underscore that, right? So, so that's huge. That is huge. That something like that was, I mean, something that we've talked about for years. Um, and I just want to make sure that people understand that this investment that we put in place that's so significant to protecting greater New Orleans came at a pretty hefty price tag. And, and now we have a chance to talk about a more realistic portion of what we owe, correct? Yeah, absolutely. That's correct. And so, um, you know, to be clear, the state of Louisiana recognizes that it, there's a debt to be paid here, right? Um, but uh, because of delays in implementation of the project, uh, because of what now are considered some uh, pretty high interest rates on that, essentially that construction loan that was uh, that was provided to the state, um, there's a you know a hefty bill coming due to the state to the tune of about three billion dollars. Um, and so this provision of WARDA allows us to renegotiate that to something that uh, I think almost all parties believe are, is more reasonable uh, and it will you know, save the state significant dollars. As I mentioned, 600 million or more dollars um, over the next uh, you know, 50 years or so, uh, which is not insignificant. Those are dollars that can be used for lots of other things, uh, not just coastal restoration, transportation, education, health care, all the other things that are so important to the citizens of the state. So it's uh, it's a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really well said that we're not trying to, you know, get out of anything that we owe. We just want to pay what's fair and reasonable um, and include some of the work that we've already done. And obviously there's good faith on our end. Um, and I know that there's some actions that have to come um, that, that will depend on the legislature and some things like that coming from the renegotiation. But I think that's really well said that nobody's trying to get out of any kind of payment. We just want to make sure that that payment is fair and reasonable to all parties involved. Absolutely. So, Bren, I mean, that was a great way, of course, to end 2020 for the coast. But 2021 has had a number of positive uh, moments as well. And we're only just beginning the year. So tell us about some of these uh, big moments, you know, thinking about the um, HOMA navigational canal lock, uh, you know, Rabbit Island, 
the Cameron Meadows Marsh Creation and Terracing Project. There are a number of projects that are um, moving forward and, and have significant momentum and have received funding. So what are some of the highlights for you? Yeah, well, certainly, uh, you know, you, you hit you hit some of them there, of course, but uh, the HNC lock complex and, and the funding for uh, for phase one, and we're very close to to funding for the the lock complex itself. Uh, phase one is dredging of the HNC is you know just a, a really big deal. Of course, that's a really a, a key feature in the overall Morganza of the Gulf uh, risk reduction project. It's a levee, flood walls, uh, floodgates, and so forth, and Terrebonne uh, and Lafouche parishes. Um, and so receiving the funding um, for both the dredging and then uh, we're, we're close to receiving the funding, of course, for the, uh, the phase uh, two portion or the lot complex portion of that project is is a big deal. Um, this is truly an integrated project. So CPRA really was stood up to integrate both uh, flood protection and ecosystem restoration. And I think no other project. Uh, then this one really demonstrates that that more. So not only is it a key feature in the risk reduction system of Morganza of the Gulf, but it also will help distribute fresh water that's coming from the Atchafalaya River via the Intracoastal Canal and the Homa Navigation Canal to the marshes south uh, and both east and west of Homa to help um, combat saltwater intrusion and and uh, to um, uh, you know help help with the health of those marshes and, and their viability into the future. Um, you know, we finished a, a project last year that was just a, a great success. It was, it was the Queen Bess Island project, uh, a rookery uh, for brown pelicans, one of the largest in the state, just kind of north of Grand Island, Barry Basin. And uh, we began construction on a very similar project um, in the western part of the state, the Rabbit Island project. So it's slightly larger than that Queen Bess Island project was. Um, and so the dredging of that project is underway and nearly complete now. Uh, just in time for this spring, um, as we saw on, on uh, Queen Bess Island, we we finished construction of that uh, right in the middle of February, and it wasn't but a couple of weeks later than the pelicans and other uh, water birds started to show up and, and nested. Um, and the success of that project was beyond uh, anything we could have imagined. We were expecting a few thousand birds to come back to it, and it was you know 10,000 birds that came back. Um, so we're hoping for the same kind of success uh, in the southwestern portion portion of the state on on Rabbit Island as well. Um, kind of sticking into the southwestern portion of the state, uh, another project that will be ongoing um, is the Rockefeller Shoreline Protection Project. So we've been able to uh, secure funds and, and get some projects uh, on the ground there, too, now um, that are continuous, but uh, through the Quipper program and then also through uh, some state surplus dollars to help protect that shoreline uh, in front of the Rock Rockefeller Wildlife Refuge. Um, so these are rock breakwaters that are built in the Gulf of Mexico to help that shoreline um, and uh, we're working with the parish right now through a restore parish matching project to extend that another mile or so to the west. And so, uh, you know, for every mile of the shoreline protection we can provide out there, that's saving more of those uh, of those coastal wetlands. Um, some funding announcements that, that happened recently are, are, are serious, you know, really uh, uh, big and important. Uh, money was secured uh, in this last year for the Marpaw Diversion Project. This is a project that'll um, reconnect the Mississippi River with the vast Marpaw Swamp uh, that's in the really upper reaches of the Barataria Basin. Um, will help protect the West Shore uh, Lake Pontchartrain risk reduction project um, and all of the communities in the upper, you know, Amy River, Blind River, and so forth basins. So uh, it'll help restore about 70 square miles of coastal uh, swamp in that area. Just uh, a, you know, tremendous project, really important, and we're glad to be moving out on that one. And there are many others, but uh, I'll stop there and let you guys ask another question. 
Well, if I can, Bryn, uh, can I ask maybe a little bit of a policy question? Y'all are known as an implementation agency, but you can't do that without having good policy, which y'all seem to work on quite a bit. Um, y'all recently recommended some changes to the oyster lease program. For, for people that might not be familiar with that, can you just give us like a really high level overview? Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's a good point. And so, you know, as we're um, restoring wetlands and, and building projects, uh, restoration or protection projects along our coast, um, there are times when we're uh, we need property or water bottoms that are leased for oyster uh, farming, oyster production. And so, where we have a direct impact um, to those oyster leases, uh, we have the ability to to acquire. Uh, those leases from the leaseholders and, uh, if needed, compensate them for uh, the disturbance of those leases and the standing crop or the resource that might be might be on those leases. So that program's been uh, very successful and it's been in um, uh, in practice now for about 15 or so years. And so uh, the the uh, CPRA board who we who we report to um, asked us to take a look at it and see if there are ways that it may be able to be improved. And so we did undertake that here at the end of last year and have um, uh, beginning to implement some of the sort of policy changes associated with that that program. Most of those I'll not get into the uh, weeds on it, but really they're just designed to improve efficiency of the program, reduce costs both to the state and be beneficial to the to the uh, the leaseholders, be beneficial really to the resource on the lease so that those guys can um, uh, use those funds to reinvest into the resource uh, so that we can ensure that we've got a uh, healthy oyster resource, uh, you know, for years to come along our coast. That's a that's a good way to describe an important part of Louisiana's coast. But I, I, like I said, I didn't want to let it go unsaid that when you implement projects, you have to think about all the pieces that go along with it, including things like these kind of policy pieces too. So one of my favorite things about CPRA is that you'll have something called the hot list. And I, I love talking about the hot list because I think it's pretty neat. It's all the projects that y'all anticipate um, will be coming to bid in the next six months. And you have quite an impressive list. Um, you have um, large scale baritaria marsh creation, golden triangle, um, you know, Lake Bourne, Spanish Pass, those are huge projects. Talk about some of the things that you're excited about that's coming online pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have quite a list this year. I think, um, you know, we anticipate uh, having, a, again, a record number of projects in construction. And, and the kind of unique thing about this upcoming year will be there'll be the biggest projects um, in the coastal restoration programs uh, history. So you mentioned a couple of those. Um, I, we've already talked a little bit about the home and navigation canal lot complex, but that's a, a mega project. It's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and a big feature and a big uh, risk reduction system that has uh, some ecological benefits as well. That'll be coming up. Uh, the Lake Bourne Increment 1 project. So this is a will be the largest uh, project that CPRA uh, has ever built. It's a marsh restoration project. It's in the sort of southeastern corner of Lake Bourne between the MRGO and uh, kind of the Lena Lagoon area, for those that are familiar with that area. But this will create uh, almost 3,000 uh, acres of coastal marsh. Uh, it will be the biggest project that uh, we'll ever build. Uh, so this project will dredge material from the uh, lake bottom of Lake Bourne, pump that into uh, the deteriorated wetlands around Lake Bourne, uh, to kind of re, uh, reconstitute, if you will, that lake rim and then the marshes behind it. Um, kind of in that same area, there'll be a Biloxi Marsh Living Shoreline Project. Uh, this is a project, both of those actually are projects that are being funded through the oil spill settlement dollars. 
Um, that'll be a, a, a dynamic project that will help. Um, again, we talked a little bit about the oyster resource earlier, and that uh, living shoreline will help to promote that oyster resource uh, in that area and create really a, a living reef that'll help protect the shorelines uh, around Biloxi Marsh. Uh, Golden Triangle is another one uh, that will be um, built kind of in the same vicinity. That's in the, the area of the, the Great Wall, some people know it as, but the st uh, storm surge uh, barrier uh, at the intersection of the Intracoastal Canal and the MRGO. And another project that we're getting ready to go to construction on um, in just about a month now um, and will be the largest project that we build, both in terms of the volume of sediment dredged and acres that will be created, is the Spanish Pass uh, Ridge and Marsh Creation Project. So um, I mentioned earlier the, the Lake Bourne project. The, the Spanish Pass actually will, will, will hold the record for the largest project we, we've ever built until we begin construction on the Lake Bourne project, which would follow it up uh, shortly thereafter. So um, that project, the one in Spanish Pass, is just north of Venice. It's in Plaquemines Parish, and uh, it will use material that we dredge, sediment that we dredge from the Mississippi River to build a, about 1,600 acres of uh, a ridge habitat that's so important in terms of knocking down storm surges uh, and also for things like neotropical birds that are migrating across the Gulf of Mexico um, and then also create a, a large piece of marsh in Plaquemines Parish in an area that's just lost a tremendous amount of marsh over the last you know, 100 years or so. Bren, that is really great to hear the progress that you all are making. And I love that you're breaking your own records with each new project. Um, I, we talked about this when we had Greg on the show, but it seems like you all have this mantra, despite everything that's going on in the world of can't stop, won't stop, right? Because we know that that's really what's at stake here with the coast. And just to see, you know, a little local boy's preference, but seeing, you know, the the largest projects in Plaquemines and then Eastern St. Bernard in terms of marsh creation and, and just restoration. Pretty cool to see. Pretty cool to see, Simone. <laughs> we'll beat you soon. We'll beat you soon, Shocked. Bayou Region's coming for you. We got the home and navigation, <laughs> navigational canal lock, so we got you on that. So. Well, it seems like there's large-scale stuff happening across the coast. So There are. There, there are some... Um, um, other projects really kind of on the protection side of the house, if you will, that'll that'll be coming online as well. So that that includes uh, like the Rose Thorn uh, levee project that's in the greater Lafitte area. Uh, the Elliott Jones pump station is in Terrebonne Parish. And then um, there's a it's called Section D levee, but it's part of the La Rose to go to Meta. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It'll be, uh, under construction. Mm -hmm. All in, in the Bayou region. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you Ben, for that. Um, I do right. quickly want to make a point because I know Jacques has some other questions he wants to get to. Um, I was talking to April Newman, who's a great project manager on your side, and, and she's working on the Terrebonne Basin Barrier Islands. And she did a webinar for this uh, for us at Restore Retreat this week. She did an amazing job. Um, but we were just talking about how many jobs that one project created. And um, she said she did some quick math and, and it's over 120 people not including all the people that put in on the CPRA side and other things that worked on that project. So that's really important that we're making this investment environmentally, which of course is what we need here in Louisiana, but it's about jobs too. And so that's really important as well. Can you maybe hit on that just for a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the investments that we're making, the, you know, the projects that I was just talking about, they're not, um, you know, the projects that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or even tens of millions of dollars. Most of those are investments on the order of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so when you're investing that kind of money uh, into our coast and into our economy, it certainly um, 
has a significant ripple effect in terms of providing jobs for for folks um, and for for local companies, for companies with significant uh, presences, uh, you know, in the in the coast of Louisiana. So I know it was it was interesting as as kind of we were settling into the you know, operations of COVID last year. And of course, the, um, the oil market was was really tanking kind of toward the middle of last, beginning and middle of last year. Uh, I actually heard from a number of, of uh, folks that we work with, people that help us with engineering and design and construction of, of our projects. And um, there was a lot of um, gratitude and appreciativeness, I think, for the fact that we were continuing to implement our projects, continuing to, you know, engineer and design plan, as I mentioned earlier, and probably most importantly, get projects on the ground and build projects. It, it was uh, several people expressed to me that it was a, a nice um uh, it was it was a good reprieve with the slowdown in the oil and gas industry to be able to focus some attention and uh, and keep, you know, keep our local workers uh, busy and doing good things for the coast of Louisiana through some of the work that CPRA was doing. So that was really gratifying. Uh, that was uh, certainly appreciated hearing from some of our uh, some of our colleagues and contractors that uh, that do work with us on that. That was uh, that was a very good message, I think, to hear. Absolutely. I mean, we certainly focus on the um, value that restoration projects provide in terms of increased storm protection, wildlife habitat, all of those things. But, you know, they're also providing jobs and economic impact at a time when our state really needs those. Right. So we can't forget about that opportunity and, and that opportunity for growth over the long term. Um, Bren, we want to get to the news of the day. Um, but first, I, I did want to touch base. There's another big milestone coming soon for um, other large-scale projects, in particular the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion. Anything you kind of want to hit on about that that milestone? Absolutely, yeah. So the um, the environmental impact statement that's being prepared by the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers uh, and the restoration plan uh, for the project that's being developed by the Louisiana Trustee Implementation Group, that's the group um, that uh, really controls the most majority of the funds associated with the the BP uh, Deepwater Horizon oil spill settlement um, will be released on March 5th. So in just a week and a half or so, those uh, those documents be, will be released. You know, we've been talking for a long time uh, about this project. It's been evaluated. It's been scrutinized. It's been studied. Uh, I don't think there's any other project in the history of CPRA, certainly, that's been through uh, the level of scrutiny that the Mid-Barataria Sediment Diversion has in terms of you know, will it work? What benefits will it have? What impacts might it have? Um, and all of that will be disclosed um, in the environmental impact statement that the Corps of Engineers will produce on the 5th. That'll be a draft uh, EIS or environmental impact statement. And so it's really the, the op, uh, it'll, it'll be one of the first opportunities for the public to see those evaluations, to, again, be able to, to uh, see the documented benefits, impacts, um, and so forth of the project, and then be able to provide comments to the Corps of Engineers uh, on how they feel about it. Um, is it good? Is it bad? Uh, are there things that can be done to perhaps change the proposed project to, uh, to you know, make things better? Uh, those kind of things. And so that's going to be, uh, yeah, happening on March 5th, and it's a big milestone for the project. We're, uh, we're excited to get there and to, uh, to continue to move the project forward. I was teasing with Greg Grandy. He was committed to giving a presentation on Friday, March 5th. And I was like, Greg, don't you have that date like circled in red on your calendar? And he said, no, I have it circled in green. And so I said, touche, touche. I thought that was an amazing answer. Um, 
he's still double booked that day, by the way, in case you need to know. But <laughs> um, let's talk about what kept you busy this week and, and why today's the um, fourth day, I think, in a row that I'm, I'm talking to you. But um, last week, y'all released the annual plan. And um, let's see if I can do this justice. The annual plan is an authorization to spend dollars. It is not an actual appropriation. Um, and so maybe you can talk about that in the 887 million dollar project that y'all have proposed sure absolutely so so uh yeah so we are um in the midst of our our annual planning process um the draft annual plan for fiscal year 2022 was released uh last week presented to our board at the end of last week and we've been going through uh, public meetings uh to present that plan to the to the public and similar to the eis that i mentioned earlier um we're accepting comments on that plan right now from the public so the the uh, as you said, it's a, it's an authorization to expend funds, not an appropriation. So we don't receive any state uh, general funds. Uh, we do receive some funds from the state through mineral uh, revenue sharing, uh, but most of the other revenues that the that we receive at CPRA um, are associated either with federal programs that provide funds uh, annually. Uh, we've mentioned, of course, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill settlement, and then there's some other one-time funds that we receive that. Uh, uh, that we're fortunate to receive, but they, they don't always come to the state. And so each year we have to project what we think those revenues are going to be coming to the state. And then we develop this plan, this annual plan that describes how we intend to expend those uh, those dollars. So, um, uh, you know, our our activities at CPRA and the projects and the, and the things that we do, the projects that we implement, the things that we do are dependent upon, one, receiving the funds that we predict that we'll receive, which doesn't always happen. Uh, and then being able, of course, to execute the projects um, with those dollars that uh, that we've planned for, um, you know, really six months to a year in advance. And so that's really what the annual plan is. It's uh, it's our um, prediction, if you will, on uh, what monies we'll receive uh, and then what we plan to do with those. Uh, and that uh, is scrutinized certainly by the public as we're in the public comment period right now. And then ultimately by uh, the CPRA board uh, and then the legislature as well. So, Bryn, um, just to talk about the public comment process lasts until the end of March, and, and folks can talk about that, gets presented to the Louisiana legislature. Um, those are some next steps, steps that we follow. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes. Um, so, uh, we, as I said, we're in the, in the public comment period now, so we'll accept uh, those comments through the end of March. Um, those comments will be reviewed uh, and incorporated into the uh, our final plan. That final plan will then be presented to the CPRA board. Uh, they'll give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, if we get a thumbs up, it's submitted to the, uh, and, and I should say the timeline, so it'll be presented to the board at our uh, April meeting. Um, following that, uh, it'll be submitted to the state legislature. Uh, we go through four committee hearings, um, the Natural Resources and Transportation Committees, on both the House and Senate side. And then if it gets out of those committees, it goes to the full house, uh, to the floor of the full house and to the uh, Senate floor as well for consideration and uh, hopefully approval. So that'll take place sometime during this upcoming legislative session that begins in April, um, but it's subject to you know the committee schedules and the uh, House and Senate schedules as well. So I don't have um, much uh, clarity on that right now, but certainly that can be followed uh, once session starts and calendars begin to be posted. 
Well, Bren, certainly there's been no shortage of work that you all have going on. I mean, you all are busy, and that's clear just from uh, the time you take to, to kind of walk us through all the progress um, and priorities that you all are executing at CPRA. I do have to ask, I mean, we, we did focus a lot on the progress and, you know, the great projects that are being constructed and moving forward, but um, what also, you know, are some of the challenges you're facing? Like what, what is keeping you up at night um, or what might keep you up as night, at night as you think about this work over the long term? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I think that, um, well, there are a few things that keep me up at night. <laughs> Look, just be what specific, about- okay? I don't want to hear, <laughs> we don't need to hear all, all. Other, <laughs> other than <laughs> Maybe other than the fact that you probably don't have a lot of time to sleep because you're so busy, but you know, when you do have time to sleep, what, what is it, what is keeping you up? At well, I, you know, I'm, so I'll, I'll throw this one out there and it almost seems like cliche and, and, and a, maybe even a bit self-serving, but, but how we continue the momentum that we've developed over the last several years in this program um, is, is worrisome. Um, I think we've certainly demonstrated that we can accomplish great things. We can do good things for the coast of Louisiana. And that's really been facilitated, you know, quite frankly, by the fact that we experienced a, a horrible disaster, um, uh, you know, in 2010. Um, that was just awful for our coast, awful for a lot of people, uh, killed people um, and, and for the resources along our coast. But, you know, there there's, has been some benefit, I guess, if you, if you will, that has come out of that in terms of it's it's provided significant funding to be able to build the number and the size of mentioning, you know, the largest projects we've ever, ever built in our history. Well, that's, you know, relying on a disaster every so often to provide, um, you know, the funding and support and so forth for a program like this is really no way to operate. And so thinking out beyond, you know, the next four, five, 10, 15, even 20 years and, and how to maintain the momentum that we've built over the last five or six um, is is really important. And that that really, to me, you know, it, it kind of rests on our, how we're going to fund this program at this level uh, long term. Um, and so that's that, you know, there, there are certainly some ideas there um, and some things that we can pursue and we are pursuing. But, uh, you know, I just I don't want us uh, ever to sort of rest on our laurels and say, look at the good work we're doing. Um, and then we get, you know, five, 10 years down the road and we look up and realize that we're, we're not able to continue it because we haven't thought ahead. Um, that's probably yeah. the biggest thing that keeps me up at night. Well, I think that's a very good answer. And I hope I didn't put you on the spot with that. But um <laughs> You know, to kind of follow up, I think you raised a really good point, which is this is such a collective effort, right? There's so many people involved. I mean, certainly the folks at uh, the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, you know, other agencies and, and elected officials, but also people on the ground in the communities, business leaders. So we often get asked, you know, well, what can I do to help? This is such a big problem in terms of coastal land loss, in terms of storms, et cetera. So what would be that message you give to kind of Louisianans to say, like, hey, this is how you can help us? Yeah, I would, I would say uh, there are two kind of main things that, that I would ask folks to do. One is to uh, simply be educated about the, the issues facing coastal Louisiana, be educated about what it is that we're doing to try to address those um, and um, and to, uh, to to be engaged and in, in quite frankly, challenging us. Um, I don't want anybody ever to look at CPRA and think we know everything, uh, you know, anything and everything and, and are always right or, or know the best ways to do things. We, we need our citizens to to understand our program, to understand our the issues that we face 
uh, both within the program, but of course uh, across our coast. And um, and the question, you know, what it is that we're doing to make sure that we are uh, operating the best way that we can, using the dollars that we've got available to us in the most efficient way possible, um, and are doing the most good for the coast, which in turn means obviously the most good for the people of Louisiana. The second thing I would say is I would I would challenge uh, folks, uh, those that are both familiar with our, our issues and program and those that aren't, um, uh, to, again, become educated on those if you're not. But uh, take two or three of your friends and have have a real long, in-depth conversation uh, about our coast. Um, and I'm assuming in many cases those will be friends that perhaps haven't thought much about what's going on along our coast or why it's important to Louisiana. Why it's important, um, you know, not just to coastal Louisiana, the entire state and indeed the entire nation. Um, and I challenge folks to do that with, you know, a couple of friends locally. Um, but I'd also challenge folks to do that with people they know from across the country, uh, because this issue is not just a Louisiana issue. It's a it's a national issue. When you think about the transportation system, the energy production, uh, the food production, the um, the wildlife um, uh, you know support functions that our coast have for ducks that might breed in um, you know um, Canada uh, stop over in Louisiana and overwinter in you know Mexico or Central America um, the coast of Louisiana supports all of those things um, and it's not just important to us here in, in the state of Louisiana or the Gulf Coast it's important to the entire country. So I would challenge folks to have that conversation um, that I think can spur a lot of a lot of good thought, some critical thinking um, and, um, um, you know, educate folks on why this is such an important issue. And I know you well enough, Brent, to know that you are not opposed to having that conversation with your friends with a drink or in the duck blind. Well, are you supposed to be quiet? You're supposed to be quiet in a turkey hunt, but I don't know if you have to be quiet for a duck hunt, huh? Yeah, I'm a better duck hunter than turkey hunter because, you know, a very, very uh, longtime supporter of Roar, Mr. Al Danos, one time told me he's like, um, you would not be good on a turkey hunt, Simone. <laughs> I think you have to be like super quiet. So um, I took that as as um, some constructive criticism. But Bren, we we are so grateful for as much time as you spent with us today. I'm always really amazed by um, your recall, even if you have notes in front of you. But I think that the way that you talk just shows not just how much you know the issue, but how much you're passionate about the issue. And I know that's a really tough term because this is your job, right? But, you know, that's why I asked you when you were a little Bren, did you love this kind of stuff? And you said that you did. And I think it comes out in all these discussions. I think people know that you're the right person for this right job at the right time. So um, that that cannot go unsaid, that, that you are really great at what you do. Wow. Well, thank you, Simone. <laughs> You didn't have to answer that. Um, I'm just actually (laughs) totally buttering you up before we hit you with the fun question. Um, Uh, We know that this is the most anticipated part of this. I had several to choose from, so I'm I'm kind of caught. But so I have to ask you two. Um, So um, one is one that like continuously stumps a a previous guest of ours, and that um, what would you name your camp or your boat? (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, so I can answer both of those questions. <laughs> oh, you want to camp and uh, a boat? Okay, I like it. <laughs> I have a, uh, I have a, I have a little boat, little small, uh, old, about a fifty-year-old uh, green boat that has this sort of awful striped nineteen seventies carpeting in it, and. Uh, <laughs> 
it, uh, it looks similar to a pickle, and so we call it the pickle. That's the name of my book. Oh, uh, y'all were recently Zoom bombed with a pickle lady. That's, that's kind right. of funny. I'm noticing a, <laughs> a theme here. Uh, <laughs> the name of, I don't have a camp, uh, but my, uh, my grandfather once did and i would absolutely steal the name from from his camp um for for mine should i ever uh, acquire one and it would be haas's roost oh i love that <laughs> sounds cozy yeah it does it sounds like there's some drinking happening there too I'd probably, <laughs> i'm sure there was probably guess about grandpa haas there a little bit <laughs> that's right okay so then Jacques and i that i just had to kind of dig into the people that can't answer that question every time we ask it um but <laughs> We talked about this earlier at the beginning of the show. We talked about crawfish. Um, I, I hope you lie if you don't eat crawfish, but like, what's your favorite way to eat crawfish? Oh, boiled. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Boiled's a, the best way to, best way to do it. Good answer. Don't have to be fancy about it, right? Yep. Nope. Good. Well, look at you, Brian, coming on and Simone hits you with three fun questions. So, Jacques, you know, Jacques usually ask about Girl Scout cookies and that's like so hard for people to answer. So you're lucky you probably got me asking this question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I'm well, we appreciate your time and your willingness to walk us through all this progress and information and also answer all of Simone's fun questions, Bren, and just, um, I can't, you know, echo enough what Simone said, um, and just best of luck to you all in the, the next year. And, and, um, thank you again for your time and for joining us today. Absolutely. Anytime guys, uh, uh really appreciate, uh, your interest and opportunity for me to share some of this information. Jacques, do you want to, um, give our coastal stat this week? Sure. You know, I, I picked this coastal stat because I just want to make sure that it's clear that we love our Bayou region folks and your neck of the woods, Simone. And I know I always am preferencing St. Bernard and Plaquemines, but it's we show. I, hey, I have people in Homa, too. So yeah, this week's coastal stat of the week is from Reggie Dupree, um, executive director of the Turbone Levy and Conservation District. Um, he says that the positive impacts of the system are almost immeasurable, except for one telling statistic. So this is a Mr. Reggie's statistic. The storm surge in 2005 from Hurricane Rita flooded about 11,000 homes in this area. But with the system we've built, only 11 homes took on water after a similar surge from Hurricane Barry in 2019 and the numerous named storms in 2020. Um, from 11,000 down to 11, I call that a pretty good start, but the storms won't stop coming. So we won't stop improving our system. Well, pretty said. Good well said by Reggie. Um, and of course, Re uh, Bren hears from Reggie quite often. So <laughs> he's probably familiar with that statistic. He, he had to, um, and that's another thing we didn't even get to talk about with Bren is how active last season was and how they were constantly on the front line and um, with, uh, with the governor and UCG reacting to all of those storms. And so that's a whole nother show for a whole nother day. Um, I do, I want to close out with the Coastal Voice of the Week. Um, Sandra and Bush, Louisiana says, to protect the flora and fauna, to preserve the fishing industry, and to maintain our beautiful state and our way of life. So thank you for telling us why it's important to restore our coast. And just remember, you can add your own coastal voice at MississippiRiverDelta.org slash restore dash the dash coast. Well, that was another great episode packed with information, you know, just a, another example of how we have so much we can cover in this show. And we're looking forward to bringing you some great episodes 
in the time ahead, you know? Um, so please go to deltadispatches.org, subscribe, like, and rate our podcast, share us with your friends. And like Brent said, have those conversations about our coast. So until next time, we will see y'all later, alligators. Mm-hmm.